Well, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to you tonight as we continue our series in Thy Kingdom Come. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer as well. We are continuing to go through the Thy Kingdom Come as we study the Bible. And this is not so much an end times prophetic teaching. I've taught the book of Revelation at other times, and I do believe that's applicable even for our day. So maybe that'll be something that we will pick up at another time. But this particular teaching and series, I believe the Lord wants, wanted me to do so that we would understand what's ahead for the Christian. Because we are living in perilous times right now, and the invitation is open for you to come to Jesus. If you don't know him, make that calling and that election sure tonight. We invite you to come to know Jesus Christ and be saved so that this can also be your future ahead because it is not so for the lost. But this series is focusing on what is ahead for those who know Jesus Christ and are called and are, are in his family, those who are in covenant relationship with him. So I hope you've been following along. And if you need to go back, there are archives on this. Um, when we started doing it live on here, we've uh, taped everyone, and so they're all in the archives on this page. And so I want to continue tonight. We have seen Jesus come back on the white horse in Revelation 19. We've seen him defeat his enemies in this study. We've talked about that. We have seen him in his coronation and his procession to Jerusalem. We have seen him ascend the throne and build the temple. We talked about all of those things in previous lessons. And so tonight, I want us to see once he's established in Jerusalem, once he is on the throne, once the temple he has uh, he has been um, ascended the throne in his temple, I want us to kind of pick up from there and look at 20 things, and we're going to try to go through the, through these fairly quickly, 20 things that I find in Scripture, and there may be a few others that you find in your own study, but I want to hone in on 20 things that I found in the Scriptures that will be, the, the Bible tells us, will be evident and will be um, happening in the time of that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and let's get started. By God's grace, we pray His anointing upon His Word and that you will be blessed and encouraged by it in Jesus' name, that your faith will be strengthened and you will know what's ahead for you in that coming day. All right, now let's talk about these 20 key points. First of all, I want us to see that the throne and the kingdom belong to Jesus. We talked a little bit about that in the last lesson. It's his to take and to officiate from. Matthew 6, 13 says, thine is the kingdom. Daniel 7, 9 through 14 talks about the ancient of days or the father who delivers to the son of man the kingdom and the dominion that is an everlasting dominion. Hebrews 1, 8 through 9 is a quote from Psalm 45, and it talks about how God the Father tells the Son, thy throne, O God, and thy scepter, which is what a king uses and has. Then we had that quote coming from Psalm 45. Psalm 2 and verse 6, God sets Jesus as king in Jerusalem on his holy hill. He tells us that. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, 
Jesus is the promised Messiah, and he has an everlasting kingdom granted to him. Isaiah 16, 5, which we will read in a minute, he is promised to sit on the throne. Isaiah 34, 1 through 4, the reign of righteousness and justice is what's talked about there that will be, will be evident during his reign. So let's establish, we, we talked more in depth about this in the last lesson, but let's just as a refresher, remember what is his throne. And I want to read this verse in Isaiah 16, verse 5. It says this, In mercy the throne will be established, and one will sit on it in truth, in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. So we see that it's in the tabernacle of David, which very likely may be the actual most holy place inside his millennial temple. We will, we will see. We will find out for sure, but that's the way it appears to me because it clearly says here he's going to sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David. So, we saw all of that, and we talked more about that as he ascends that throne and builds the temple. Now let's talk about the reign, his reign of true peace. Everywhere today, they were longing for peace. Peace in the Middle East is one of the things that every president seeks after and, and everyone wants, especially those in that area. But true peace, true peace, excuse me, will not come until the Prince of Peace is the one who sits and rules from Jerusalem, from his throne there. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, we spoke about that a minute ago, but it also talks about him, and it calls him Sar Shalom, or the Prince of Peace. He alone is the captain and the chief. He is the one that um, that has peace. He decides it. He controls it. He is the umpire. The, the Greek New Testament speaks of, of one of the words for let the peace of God rule in your heart. It, that word rule is really talking about an umpire. And that can be understood in this word sar, shalom, that it's the umpire. He's the one that calls the shots safe and out and balls and strikes in a baseball game. And the Lord is the one that brings us, he's Sar Shalom, he brings us to that place of safety where we are safe, as an umpire would call it in a ball game. Sar Shalom, he is always bringing us to the place of safety and peace. He, he uh, welcomes peace for his people. It's a welcomed peace for those who are his people. However, we are listed and told in the scriptures, in some of the scriptures, that it will be an enforced peace on those who are still against him. And beloved, there will be people still against him in that day. The hearts of men, even though the devil will be bound during that time, the hearts of men, the Bible tells us, are depraved and are wicked and are sinful, even in our own very nature. And so there will still be those who will be against him. That is why the scriptures tell us that he will rule them with a rod of iron. We find that prophesied in Psalm chapter 2, verse 9, and spoken of in Revelation 19, 15 through 16. 
He's going to rule with a rod of iron. That will be upon those who he has to enforce the peace upon. For those of us that know him, it will be a welcomed time of peace for us. Third, he shares his dominion by giving delegated authority to his people. 2 Timothy 2, 12 speaks of how we suffer now in this life, but we will reign with him later. Revelation 5.10, in the Song of the Redeemed, it says we reign with him on the earth. In Revelation chapter 20, the, the, which is the millennial reign chapter in Revelation, we see Satan bound in the abyss as um, for that whole 1,000 years, but we also see it says thrones, and these are for the saints, priests of God who will be ruling with him. Psalm 122, verse 5, speaks of thrones, plural, for judgment. Daniel 7, 9, speaks of thrones in the plural. Matthew 19, 27 and 28, and Luke chapter 22, verse 30, speak of how the disciples are promised by Jesus that they will sit on 12 thrones to judge Israel. Now, I see the pattern on that might be coming from Deuteronomy, or I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 18, where Moses takes Jethro's advice and, and delegates authority to those with him also, even though he was the chief among them. So that may be a pattern for us to understand this, but there will be some delegated authority and some rule and reign. Jesus even spoke of it in the parable of the Minas, where he talked about um, some being rulers over so many cities because of their faithfulness that they had uh, seen overseen with him and, and shown him. Fourth, there will be abundant graciousness, provision, and fruitfulness all over the world. I want to read you a, a short passage from Luke chapter 22, verse 28 through 30. Luke 22, verse 28 through 30. And he says this, but Jesus is speaking here, and he says, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me. So we're talking about that delegation, that delegated authority here. But then continuing on, he says, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So here he's speaking about eating at his table. When you ate at a king's table, when you were the king's household, there was abundant provision. The king probably ate better than anybody else in the land most of the time. There was abundant provision, graciousness, and that will include us, beloved. That's what Jesus is promising to his disciples. No lack, no hunger, no homelessness. We will have a home. We will not be homeless in any way. I believe the pattern for this we can see in David's table when he brought in Mephibosheth and in a sense almost adopted him into his household. That's found in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and 19. You can read that. Barzillai's son, Kim Ham, was also found in 2 Samuel chapter 19. He, both of those were granted 
to eat continually at the king's table. That provided for them complete provision and feasting with the king. This even continued with Barzillai's family under the reign of King Solomon, according to 1 Kings 2 and 7. Even the mountains and the hills will be prosperous and fruitful. There will be new wine and honey in abundance, according to the prophecies given in Joel chapter 3, verse 16 through 21, and Isaiah chapter 27. These tell us that the world will be filled with fruit. I believe it will be natural fruit, but also spiritual fruit. Hallelujah. There will be rivers and streams in the desert, abundant water, even in desert places, grasses growing and pools of water there. The fifth thing we see is there will be no war and no weapons. Think about that. Think about that. That in that day, the Bible says the weapons are beaten into plowshares, which are hoeing and digging implements. They're utensils. They're useful for doing work and providing food and providing vegetation and so forth. Now those former weapons at that time, those former weapons will be useful as tools. And you can find that spoken of by the prophets Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, and Micah chapter 4, verse 3. So, beloved, there, imagine the time when there will be absolutely no war and no weapons of any kind. For a thousand years, for one thousand years, we believe the scriptures to be literal. There's no reason to not believe that. God's not trying to confuse us. He says what he means. It means what he says. So imagine 1,000 years and all of these things are happening during that 1,000 years. No war and no weapons. What a delightful time that will be. Sixth, the glory of God will cover the entire earth. According to these uh, references, Habakkuk 2.14, Numbers 14.21, Psalm 72 verse 19, and Isaiah 24, verse 23, the glory cloud will fill the entire earth. The glory of God will cover the earth. I believe the pattern for that we saw early in small form in the glory cloud that would fill the temple at Solomon's dedication during the Feast of Tabernacles. And beloved, keep in mind that the Feast of Tabernacles is the one that speaks to us about Jesus ruling and reigning in his messianic millennial kingdom. Even Peter thought that on the Mount of Transfiguration, and that's why he wanted to build Moses, Elijah, and Jesus their booths, because he thought that, that the coming of the Lord, he knew that the coming of the Lord was prophesied prophetically in the Feast of Tabernacles. And so he thought, that Jesus was now going to set up his kingdom, and it was Feast of Tabernacles time, and it was kingdom, kingdom time. And so that's what he was talking about there. So we know that the Feast of Tabernacles represents the millennial kingdom, the time when Jesus will rule and reign from the earth. And so we see at the Feast of Tabernacles in Solomon's day, when he dedicated the temple, the glory cloud filled it. Now imagine this, um, the glory 
the glory of God will fill his entire temple. Remember, there was a time when the um, uh, Phinehas's uh, daughter, or Phinehas's wife, I believe it was, was having birth, remember? And, and she found out that Eli and her husband both died, and she named the baby Ichabod, because meaning the glory had departed. But beloved, now the glory returns. The glory cloud returns. The glory of God returns to the earth. Habakkuk 2, 7 and 9 speaks of the glory of that latter house being far greater than the former because the living glory of Jesus is coming there. And I do believe that that was fulfilled partially in its first fulfillment when Zerubbabel built the temple that Herod later embellished and Jesus literally came to and he was the glory of God revealed in flesh. And then at the second coming during the millennial temple that he will build again, the glory of God will fill that place. Imagine if God filled Solomon's temple so much so that the priest could not minister. How much more when Jesus is in his temple in Jerusalem because he is the greater than Solomon. In that day, the glory cloud is going to fill the earth. The millennial temple is not going to be able to contain it. It will fill the entire earth just as the prophecies have told us. It will be a terror to God's enemies, just like it was at the Red Sea when the glory cloud stood between the children of God and, the, and Pharaoh's army, and it was a terror to them. But it will be light and heat for God's people, blessing to them. Hallelujah, it's the same glory cloud that was covering Mount Sinai when Moses was called up to go there into that thick darkness of God's presence. Imagine the magnificence of Jesus covering the whole earth with his beauty and his splendor. Isaiah 4, 2 through 6 speaks of that. How beautiful will that day be when the glory of God literally covers the entire earth as he is dwelling in Jerusalem. Praise God. The seventh, all nations and people will desire to come to God's holy mountain from all over the, all over the earth. According to Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 4, they will desire and they will come to the mountain of God in Jerusalem. Deuteronomy 33, 1 through 3, we talked about this one last week, of how they, they want to come and sit at his feet and receive his words. Hallelujah. And we'll see more of that in that day. Now, beloved, there'll still be evil people that will not, uh, will not want to be with him because the heart of man, like we spoke of, is depraved. But more often than not, perhaps, we will find that they will want to come from all over the earth because it's prophesied, and in that day, it will come to fruition. The eighth, the foundation, or the fountain, excuse me, the fountain of the river of life will flow freely. Joel chapter 3, verse 16 through 21, and the entire chapter of Ezekiel 47 tell us more details about this. In Ezekiel, he's talking about this river of life that flows from underneath the throne in Jerusalem, flows through the eastern gate, flows down to the Dead Sea. Now, the problem with that right now is that at this current time, 
it, it wouldn't flow to the Dead Sea the way it is right now because of the Mount of Olives being right there across from the Eastern Gate. It could flow into the Kidron, the Brook Kidron, and go down in that sense. But I believe the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes, he will stand on the Mount of Olives and the mountain will split in two. From the, it will split north, it will, some will go southward, some will go northward of that mountain. That's going to create a valley, and when that river of life that's flowing from the throne that Jesus is on in Jerusalem goes through the eastern gate, it may even break off into the Brook Kidron as well, but it's going through that mountain, I believe, with power and with force, and it's going down to the Dead Sea. The Bible says it will flow westward to the Mediterranean Sea, and it will flow eastward and go all the way to the Dead Sea. Now, beloved, listen to me. When it reaches the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it's dead right now. Nothing can live in it. It's full of salt and, and minerals. They do use it for minerals and, and um, cosmetics and other things like that. But it does not have any fishing in it. Nothing can live inside the Dead Sea. But in that day, according to Ezekiel 47, they will be fishing even from the coast of Engedi and other places it's listed there. And it will be teeming with life at that time. It will no longer be the Dead Sea. It will be teeming with life because Ezekiel 47 says, everything lives where the river flows. In that day, that Dead Sea will come to life because the river of life will flow into it from the throne of Jesus in Jerusalem. Praise God. And there will be fishing there in that day. So if you like fishing, you're going to get to do some fishing in the millennial reign. The ninth thing, the sun and the moon will be at their full potential and strength like we have never seen before. I want to read you this from Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 26 says this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. This is talking about in that day. And beloved, it is, um, it is telling us here that the moon is going to be as bright as our sun is right now. And the sun is going to be as bright as seven days of sunlight, all mixed into one. So it will be at full potential and strength. We hadn't seen the sunlight like we will see it in that day. Imagine that. Imagine that. The sun will be like seven days worth of sunlight all at one time. And I believe perhaps this is some of the reason why, why Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verses 14 through 16, he talks about in one of those verses how God dwells in unapproachable light. That's the kind of strength and potential of the light that surrounds the Lord our God. Imagine that. And so that's why I believe Paul wrote to Timothy and called it unapproachable light. In our human condition, we can't bear that kind of light to see that. But that will be the case in that day, according to Isaiah chapter 30. 
The tenth thing, the animal kingdom will be restored to its original perfect state. According to Isaiah 11, chapter 1 through 10, and I'm not, I was going to try to read this, but for the sake of time, I won't read it. But you, will, you can read it and you'll find in there where you have the wolf and the lamb that are together, playing, lying down together. You'll find the leopard and the goat together. You'll find the calf and lion cubs together. And nobody's trying to eat each other because they will be returned and restored to their original state like it was in the Garden of Eden. As a matter of fact, Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22, in, in essence, form bookends of the Bible. Now, during this time, we are seeing glimpses of that because we're now in the book of Revelation chapter 20 during the millennial reign of Christ. But in that season, God is restoring everything. The, the book of Acts tells us that the heavens had to receive Jesus until the time of the restoration of all things. And this is that time when God is going to restore everything back to its original condition. And so the animal kingdom will be like that. And they, you have the cow and the bear together, the wolf and the lamb, the calf playing along with lion cubs. You will have a lion now eating straw, not meat. Toddlers playing around snakes with no danger because the snakes won't bite them. Children can freely play and treat any animal at that time like a pet. And there will be families and children born during that millennial reign. So the children can go around and play with any of these animals. Imagine that. Imagine having a lion cub or a, or a giraffe baby or a, um, you know, a tiger in your backyard and being able to play with that. It'll be a beautiful time. The 11th thing we see is song or songs of the day that are special songs that people will sing. We are given lyrics to some songs that, according to scripture, are going to be applicable and being sung in that day. You can read that in Isaiah chapter 12 and in Isaiah chapter 26. So I believe that these may be sung in that day, perhaps like the songs of ascent that were sung as they would come to Jerusalem for the feast days. Maybe it'll be something like that. We don't know, but they, they are the lyrics, and we are told that they are sung in that day, and the lyrics, according to those two chapters, are given to us. So what a beautiful thing that we will have even special songs to be sung then. Twelfth. The government authority is Jesus to have and to hold and to bear completely. Matter of fact, he is told to have the key to the house of David. That key that opens doors that cannot be closed, period, full stop. And he closes doors that cannot be opened, period, full stop. The government shall be upon his shoulders, just like Isaiah said also in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. 13, Israel possesses and enjoys the full extent of their territory that was promised to Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 17 through 21. They have never fully possessed all that God had promised them. The closest that they came was under the reign of Solomon, King Solomon, at that time. But if you read Isaiah 26, 
verse 1 through 15, and Obadiah 1, chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Obadiah, and verse 17, you will see that in that day, they will possess all of their possessions, and their territory will extend the entire, ex entire expanse of what was promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Their borders will expand to the full extent from the river Nile to the river Euphrates. That entire territory will be the nation of Israel in that day. 14, God's people, including us, will be serving as volunteers to the Lord. Psalm 110 verse 3 speaks of that. Think about this. Could this life possibly be training and rehearsal for even things that we will be doing in that day? Maybe the things that God has put in our hearts and the things that are our passion today will be used during that day to minister as unto the Lord and what he directs us to do. For instance, teachers may be teaching. There will be children. There will be families. There will be people who need to understand the word of God because they're born and they have not had the Bible taught to them or whatever. Maybe there will be a place for teachers, school teachers, Bible teachers. Who knows? Nurses. Maybe they will be helping as midwives to deliver babies or other things. Servants distributing goods from the king's table, from the graciousness of our king and the provision that he has. Because we read about and talked about earlier how the whole earth will be filled with fruitfulness during that time. Maybe there will be distributions that people who are servants can do, helping people out. Maybe those who love gardening might be able to grow crops and harvest crops during that day for food and for healing and other things. Bakers might be cooking and preparing meals. Who knows? But here on earth, we might be actually in training to serve the Lord even in those gifts in that day. Think about that. How beautiful is that? Hallelujah. 15, there will be healing for all. Isaiah 35, you can find that. And Ezekiel 47, verse 12, that where it talks about the river um, of life that is flowing. The tree's leaves by the river of life, it says, are going to be for medicinal healing purposes. No more blindness, no deafness, no inability to speak or walk. I had a, a brother that was paralyzed, but praise God, he's no longer paralyzed. He's with Jesus now. But even in that day, he's going to be walking and leaping and dancing and flying and doing whatever else we'll all be doing. Praise God. In the 16th one, the full extent and understanding of Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner, will be granted to us in that day. The Bible says the Lion of Judah becomes a banner for all the nations. Isaiah 11, verse 10. 17. Christ's roar from Zion will be heard everywhere, according to the prophet Hosea 11, verse 10, Joel chapter 3, verse 16, and Amos chapter 1, verse 2. The Lion of Judah will roar from Zion, and it will be heard. 
I don't know if he'll be using microphones or PA systems or not, but his roar will be enough. He will roar from Zion. Praise God. Hallelujah. 18. Jubilee has now come. When Jesus comes back, it will be the day of Jubilee. The great trumpet that is born, blown excuse me, on the day of atonement, I believe that's what is blown at Christ's second coming as he ushers in on that white horse because that is the day of atonement where he saves his people, atones for their sins, and inscribes their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And in the time of the Jubilee, all property is restored to its rightful owner. He inherits. The Bible tells us he will inherit all nations because he's the rightful owner. He's the creator of the earth. He's the possessor of the earth. And he's the rightful owner of the earth. So all property in that time returns to its rightful owner, the Lord Jesus Christ. All debts are canceled and all people are set free. What a beautiful time that will be. 19, the unimaginable beauty of his presence and holiness will fill the earth and will be evident in the earth. I believe Solomon's reign, and we may get into this in a future lesson, although we're almost to the end of this series, we should be finishing it up in another lesson or two. But I believe that the reign of Solomon gives us some understanding of what we could possibly expect in this time, at least through chapter 10 of 1 Kings. After that, he gets involved with all the women and he starts following idolatry and other things, and so his reign goes downhill. But prior to that, Solomon's reign is a beautiful type of Jesus' millennial reign because Solomon was able to have rest from all of his enemies, a time of peace, a time of wisdom, a time of beauty, a time of justice. It was, it was more magnificent than, than even people can, could imagine, as we will read here in just a moment. I do want to read this scripture to you as we draw down to a close. We only have one more point to make. I want you to see this about the unimaginable beauty of our Lord in that day, which is patterned for us here in Solomon's reign and evident through one person that visited him. In 1 Kings chapter 10, I want to read verse 1 through 9. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. Notice this, now we're getting into the patterns of how Solomon typifies Jesus in that day. There was nothing so hard or so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, the food on his table, the eating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, apparently even his waiters were dressed beautifully, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. In other words, it took her breath away. It was so magnificent, it took her breath away. Then she said to the king, 
It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity, excuse me, exceed the fame of which I heard. Listen to this. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants, who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Beloved, I believe that many of these same words will be heard in that day. Perhaps all of us will say at least some of these words. I can imagine that every one of us, when we get to that point and we see the beauty of the Lord in all of its splendor, and we see these 20 things come to pass, maybe we will say the same as what she said. Indeed, the half was not told me. Hallelujah. It's going to be more magnificent and more beautiful than what we could even imagine. And we very well may echo her sentiment. And notice in that day that it will be like this pattern here in Solomon's day when the, the men and the women who are serving the Lord, there will be happy, there will be elaborate provision on his table, his beautiful house that he builds. Uh, we're going to stand continually before him, hear his wisdom. We're going to delight in him. I mean, these are this forms a pattern for us and shows us what, what we might be like and what it might be like and what other people might even say. We may say some of these same things that she has said. The half has not been told us. Solomon forms a beautiful pattern for that millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And lastly, number 20, and this is the most beautiful of all to me, and I believe it is to the Lord. God will get his ultimate dream fulfilled. Hear me now. God will get his ultimate dream fulfilled that has been his purpose all along. I want to read this last verse to you. Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. It says this, And let them make me a sanctuary for what purpose? That I may dwell among them. That's been God's dream all along, is to have a relationship with people. It's still his dream today. And when you get saved, you enter into a relationship with God, the God who created everything, the God who is higher than the heavens are, the God who hung all the stars and who gave the planets their orbits and commanded them to circle and spin dance before him continually. The God who gives you every breath you breathe, that same God longs to have relationship with you. That's what his pattern has always been. That's what his dream has always been. And now, in the millennial reign, Jesus comes and dwells with us in that day. And then we see, in throughout eternity, more of this same concept. It was the same concept he had when he made man, Adam and Eve, in the, in the day that he made them and created them. 
That was what he had in mind all along. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we find out that was working. That was working at that time because God would come down in the cool of the day and walk with them. It was working fine until Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent. When the serpent entered the picture and sin came in, it broke that. But now we see that being fulfilled. And God getting his greatest dream and desire fulfilled. The living ark, Jesus Christ, is dwelling with his people in his temple in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning as king. Messiah, King. We cannot imagine the beauty and the glory that awaits us during this wonderful millennial reign of Jesus Christ. I trust that this has been a blessing to you and that you know him. He longs for you to know him as your own Lord and Savior. And if you've not done that yet, I invite you, I implore you to enter that relationship with Jesus Christ through asking him to forgive you of your sins, confessing those to him, agreeing with him that they are sin and they have broken fellowship and not allowed you to have fellowship with God. Confess those, ask his forgiveness, and believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that paid for your sins and mine and will cause you to be born again and wash those sins away from you. And you can enter this wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ this very night. And this can be true of you, and you can look forward to these wonderful days that will be welcomed peace to those who know him. Uh, beloved, it will be a beautiful time, and I pray that you are there with me on that day to enjoy it. Jesus, bless the reading of your word. Bless the study of your word, and help us to understand what's ahead for us to thank you for it and to eagerly look for your return and your soon coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And as I said, we should only be another uh, lesson or two and we should be finishing up this particular study. But it's been a blessing to me and I hope it's been a blessing to you for these uh, lessons and for these truths to become known and to uh, be studied and reminded, reminded from the word of God, what is ahead for the beloved Christian. God bless you tonight. And I hope you can join us again in the future episodes as we um, conclude this study in just a few short lessons longer. God bless you tonight.